0: thanks for listening to a long time in finance with jonathan ford and neil collins in partnership with briefcase news the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media montage. So I thought this week we'd do a podcast looking at the TV series uh, Succession, which I've been devouring the latest series.
1: Yes, a man with time on his hands, I can tell. Yeah,
0: And I thought it would be worth doing an episode looking at the economics of Succession and also the extent to which the kind of deals and M&A practices which drive the whole plot... (laughs) and are pretty hard to follow if you're just watching on a weekly basis as I've been, actually make any sense. I thought we'd get a man who is a complete expert on this subject and has written extensively and in enormous detail on the market capitalization, the share price of Waystar, Royco, the main company, and recently written an excellent digest on Financial Times Alphaville. So welcome, Louis Ashworth. We're going to pick your brains in the next uh, few minutes about the story of this great show. So welcome.
2: Hi. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you both for having me on. I don't know how I ended up being an expert in the finances of Succession, but I'll give it a go.
0: Well, somebody has to do it, and it's a great public service. So let's just start (laughs) by summarising what Succession is. (laughs) Succession is a television show it has been going now for three and a half series, and it concerns the fate of a an American sort of media conglomerate, which bears absolutely no resemblance, one might say, to news corporation. Of course not. Which, which is run by a ageing patriarch of Scottish extraction, who bears no resemblance to Rupert Murdoch, uh, called Logan Roy. And the main sort of plot driver is his children, three in particular, one called Kendall, the other called Siobhan or Shiv, and the third called Roman, kind of manoeuvring in their attempts to take over this enormous, if creaking, business. We're going to try and avoid adding, throwing in too many spoilers, but we will probably have a few spoilers at the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we 'll try and flag those up when we have them,,
1: and nobody will have guessed the uh, ending surely
0: but but I think we have to start by acknowledging that where we 've reached in the series is the the fact that Logan is now dead, so we are oh. in the end game it 's fine if we're uh, in the end I game, thought that's a we're spoiler. in the end game where they actually have to, having done all this maneuvering, they have to go and get their knives out and and try and stake their claim first of all, I think we should start by getting you, Louis, to take us through a little bit about. What is Waystar Royco? How is it controlled and and who owns it?
2: It's obviously very closely modeled in some ways on News Corp. The series is wearing its uh its connections to Murdoch pretty clearly. Yeah. Waystar Royco at its core, its best-known part of the business is this TV channel called ATN, which bears very clear similarities to Fox News in the US. I mean, it's it's clearly a hyperpartisan agitatory television station primarily focused on an audience of kind of, I suppose you'd say boomers. A lot of the series dwells on how ATN is this kind of toxic asset, how its audience is is dying off. Right. But there are also other elements. It owns a few newspapers. It owns a parks division. It has uh, a a content production division based in California. Essentially this gives the show's writers a sort of toolkit from which they can Grab any sort of relevant narrative about the modern media industry.
0: There was even a web news sort of streaming portal or whatever. Yeah,
2: Volta. But there's the sort of Buzzfeed of the series Volta, um, right, which buzzfeed, that's ha- had it. the full arc from oh, this is the future of of media, future of journalism type organization into a, the clicks are made up and it makes no money and the whole thing's falling apart. Bought by Kendall. Indeed, indeed. It's a sort of poor acquisition by by Kendall, who's in, in many ways the series protagonist. So
0: obviously the plot sort of driver is the idea that the next generation, the children of Logan Roy, want to take over... They sense their father is ailing. But let's look for a moment at the kind of battleground. You know, you talked a bit about this having certain resemblances to the life and times of Rupert Murdoch. How is Waystar owned and controlled? Is it similar in that respect to News Corps and the Murdoch family?
2: I think there's a difference. So. The structure of Waystar is more like how the structure of News Corp was a few years ago before it. It did its kind of split and you had mm-hmm. Fox split off and it became several sort of smaller companies. It's, it's more like the News Corp of sort of half a decade okay. ago. One of the key differences really is that the Murdoch family maintains effective control over News Corp. And that's why the, the succession drama there is very live in terms of how the different children decide to pursue things and how that all plays out. Mm. Waystar is a a little bit different because at the very beginning of the first series, there's this kind of original sin that occurs, which is the discovery after, after Logan has a stroke that the company faces being margin called if its share price drops to $130. And Kendall, who's temporarily in charge of the company, makes this desperate decision to sell a stake of the company heavily discounted to Stewie Hosseini, who's a friend of his who works in private equity. Yeah, This, in a sense, sets the ball rolling on all of the corporate intrigue that incurs for the next three series because the voting stake that the family holds is cut down to 36%. They can get to just over 50% of voting shares if they have the right allies. So it creates a much more delicately balanced composition than I think exists in, in News Corp. So, the
0: main characters who are contending for this crown are the children. They are all the children of Logan Roy's second marriage. His first marriage produced one child, a guy called Connor, who is clearly excluded from the line of succession and is uh, trying to be a politician and is generally presented as not being tremendously bright. And then you have kind of various other characters who swim into view spouses of the three children cousins in the shape of one character called greg but let's focus on these the main protagonists for the crown how plausible is the setup and the scheming that they undertake
2: so at the at the very beginning of the first series we're introduced to the character of kendall who's logan's oldest child by second marriage kendall is in the process of pushing through this acquisition by waystar of volta which as we talked about earlier is a kind of buzzfeed it's a gawker it's all this kind of new media that's here to eat old media kind of thing but he's presented as being this kind of heir apparent and he takes control of the company when logan is incapacitated by a stroke it's very very quickly made clear that he's sort of not suitable for the job i mean he has this history of drug addiction that seems to be resurfacing incompetency naivety a uh, sort of inflated sense of his own abilities are persistent themes with Kendall. The second child is is Siobhan Shiv, who is a political operator. Um, she's working quite closely with a sort of kind of Bernie Sanders esque senator. But Shiv clearly has an interest in in power. She she's interested in in getting the top seats at the company. So the the final final child is is Roman Roy, who is is a difficult one. He there's lots of implications about the kind of trauma that he's carrying with him from childhood. He, in some ways, makes the best fit for the Waystar because he is not moral in the way that Kendall and Shiv purport to be. But he is also desperately afraid of Logan. He has too many hang-ups on various things to to even list. And so they all, in their own way, are sort of saddled with these major character flaws.
1: The MacGuffin that gets it going is Kendall's panic about maintaining the share price which is why he does the deal have I got that right yes that's right yes can you tell us a bit about the background to that because that seems to me to be somewhat implausible but obviously it's vital to get the plot going it's a sort of um, financial version of the bus mustn't go below 50 miles an hour in speed or it blows up
2: absolutely yeah I I suppose it's it's nice here from the perspective of financial journalists like ourselves to have a show so premised on a margin call. The situation, as it's described, is that Logan, at some point in the 1980s, acquired a major loan from, I think it's um, China Industrial and Commercial Bank.
0: Which sounds implausible to begin with. It's absurdly (laughs) implausible. I think the bank
1: hardly existed in those days.
0: It certainly wasn't lending to media conglomerates in New York.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it, it also seems like a particularly strange time for a media conglomerate to be struggling. For whatever reason, that's that's the way that they chose to do it, and so there's this there's this multi billion dollar loan that will be called if the share price drops below one hundred and thirty dollars. And you you see in the in the third episode of the first series, Kendall sort of pleading with this bank, saying, "You're not really going to call this loan if we drop below one hundred and thirty dollars." And they say to him, "Yes, we will. We we you know we don't yes, we, we don't we, <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to be in media anymore." And Kendall, in his in his desperation, makes this kind of Faustian pact with Stewie, his um, in inverted commas friend in private equity and says, Stewie, listen, I need, I need you to buy a steak. I need a lump of cash from you. But if, is, but if you're why... going to
0: push up the share price, doesn't Stewie have to pay a massive premium over the 130? <clears throat> Otherwise, if you sell it, for, if you sell the family, sell a controlling shareholder for zilch, then that's going to have the opposite effect.
2: They are given a block of money by Stewie that they can then use to settle the loan that they're being called on. They then right. can, can squash the loan quietly news of the loan never gets out and that they consider to be a price worth paying but it's a little it's a little it, bit unclear got it, got it, got it, got it. is
1: this all while logan is incapacitated
2: yes at the at the end of that episode I, apologies i don't know what your what your podcast policy on um on swearing is
1: we're prepared to tolerate <laughs> some
0: of it test us we have at the <laughs> end of at the end of that
2: series and um kendall goes to logan who's just sort of recovering then explains to him the new arrangement and says listen Things got desperate, but I made a deal. We still have 36% of voting rights. This is what I thought we should do. And Logan says to him, I, I think it's, you are a fucking idiot.
0: But okay, so let's skip on to season three, which is where the the big deal that we're still talking about in season four, which is Logan's plan to initially to buy a streaming platform, which may or may not bear some resemblance to a sort of Netflix type venture. And his attempt to make this acquisition is then countered by the owner or the chief executive of Gojo, the streaming platform, who makes a counter bid, a sort of what's called, I think, a Pac-Man bid for News Corp. Well, yes. not News Corp, <laughs> Waystar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and then the whole of the rest of the series up till now really spins off that decision and the reaction of the children to the fact that the company is being sold from under their feet.
2: Well, the dynamics of the takeover are very odd because, I mean, you, you two will be able to speak on this better than I will, but often when we talk about M&A, companies like to talk about mergers of equals. They like to say this is a genuine merger of two two great companies that can work together. But normally, as we well and know... We know
1: there is no such thing. In, in, <laughs> indeed.
2: But e- even, even then, it's quite uncommon in the first place, I would say, to have two companies of such similar size be involved in m&a normally normally it's very clearly one company is either substantially less valuable than the other and there's some kind of brain transplant situation going on or it's you know just a larger company taking over a small company the implication in series three is that by market capitalization at least gojo the streaming platform company run by lucas matson this sort of very uh broey swede and waystar have almost identical market caps because the shift in the market caps of the two companies to allow Gojo to have a greater valuation than Waystar is enough for Lucas to say, you know, listen, our share prices are moving in opposite directions. My company is now worse than yours. I think I should be the one buying you. I don't know how you sort of respond to that because it feels to me like that's quite an odd arrangement. You're the one with a long view. Yeah,
1: it is unusual. And there is only one recorded example of the so-called Pac-Man defense working which was when Marston's bid for Wolverhampton Dudley Breweries and Wolverhampton... Tremendous parallel list. (laughs) You know, you asked for it. Um, And Wolverhampton Dudley turned around and said, no, we'll buy you. And eventually that's what happened. So essentially it was a battle over which board was going to control the combined business, which Mm. is the point that you were making, I think. Yeah.
0: We can talk about the plausibility of that, but there is also a sort of another kind of vaguely news corpy subplot here, which is a bit like the sale of 20th Century Fox to Disney. Part of the deal, the television stations, the news business is carved out, this thing you called ATN, the kind of Fox News-ish sort of entity. And that's going to remain with the Roys. And essentially, they're going to end up with cash and the residual TV business, which Logan prior to his demise, is still very keen on. That seems quite plausible to me.
2: I think this makes sense. And without, I think, going too deep into spoiler territory, this is a kind of area of tension, is who controls ATN after this acquisition is passed. The children, insofar as they show any kind of clear vision, clearly want to be media moguls. That seems to be the part Mm. of their father's legacy that really excites them the most, is that sort of, you know, making big calls, you know, backing horses, having politicians come to you on hand and knee and saying, you know, please support my campaign. For them, ATN is a key part of this. They all seem to want to kind of detoxify it, maybe Roman to a lesser extent. There are definitely parallels here with the Murdochs. I mean, one, you know, one of the biggest arguments between the Murdochs has obviously been the sort of James Murdoch side of it, where he takes a very public sort of li- liberal stance and then you have Lachlan who's in some ways the sort of less in some ways looks like the less favored Murdoch child but has been more willing to kind of align himself with the culture of Fox. so he's it's, the Roman basically he, he's he, I'd say he's Romanesque yes <laughs>
0: Romanesque, <laughs> oh, very yes. nice very good.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: we're moving very gently into spoiler territory but we'll try to not go too deeply into it I mean
2: Logan is dead now who gets his shares do we know who has got control now so at the end of series three, when the children discover that this this deal is happening involving involving Gojo, and that it might be the sort of you know, reverse Pac-Man that you described, they believe that they can they can reverse the deal through the holding company, which is referred to in an earlier series as being I, th- I think it's Royko Holding or something like that, sort of generic holding company name. They believe that because of the terms of Logan's divorce with his with his second wife, they hold a majority of voting shares within the holding company
0: so they think that they can get control of the holding company and therefore yes. uh, stop the deal happening yes uh,
2: essentially yes i mean it's obviously a kind of extreme step to take that's one of the areas where there might be the, the clearest sort of murdoch parallels because we know from recent reporting that there's this kind of holding company that the murdoch family has where there are various sort of individual votes held by his children and murdoch holds A large chunk of the votes that he can basically control what's going on but the matter of his succession and who gets his shares after he dies becomes very important it looks as though to an extent that had been hand waved away at the end of series three of succession because there's a very tragic scene where they kind of go in and they stand up to their dad and then their mother's on the phone and says oh listen dears i'm very sorry but i i sold you down the river and actually your father has has my shares in the holding company oh, dear. and yeah yeah um, <laughs> the, 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 the the implication being that she's done it all in exchange for a nice flat in Belgravia, I think
0: right, just one thing obviously central to the battle that 's going on is this deal involving gojo. there has been this big discussion about whether the deal should be renegotiated, and indeed once again, slight spoiler coming up, it is being renegotiated by the children but do we have a sense? Do you have a sense? More importantly, whether it's a good deal or not.
2: Well, we're gonna we're gonna be fully into into spoiler territory here. Here I'm afraid. I would say, if I were a banker working on the deal, obviously I would say this. But the deal they've been offered at the end of the latest series is excellent. Now, why so, is that? So we know early on in the first series that after the share price crashing, it drops to about 140 dollars. It then falls below 130, and we have that whole drama there the crisis yeah. because of you know, these fun little elements they put in like Roman looking at his phone at the end of a recent episode that the company's shares were trading at about $182 previous to Logan's death then after he dies they plunge by about 20% to about $145 a share so we're back in the kind of bad territory of the, of the early season we're then told and this is this is where i get very deep into my kind of watching the show to series kind of mode we're told in the latest episode that the shares rebounded 10% So Logan died on a Friday, the shares rebound 10% the following Monday, that would take the share price to about $160. The price that they're initially offered for the entire company is $187 per share. They negotiate that up to 192. That's roughly a 20% premium on the price. I would say, especially, especially given the sort of uncertainty around the situation that they should happily accept that amount of money and walk away because it's a very good price for what they have. And my view would be that ATN is a a toxic asset that you would not want to maintain, and you would rather walk away cleanly with the money. But clearly the children have different views on this, and this is a sort of key point of the recent episode. The price that they're discussing in the latest episode when they go up to initially negotiate with him for selling the company except ATN, they're looking at a price of sort of $147, it gets into slightly confusing territory here. I, I guess maybe there's some kind of discount to the shares overall if ATN is not included in the sale. And I guess ATN is considered to be yeah. one of the more premium assets, but the yeah. we get into extremely muddy waters there.
0: Premium and toxic.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. From my view would be especially if I were if I were getting advisors' fees on this, I would say $192 a share. Absolutely take it. It's a premium to any price we've ever seen the company trading at. And it's an excellent premium to, to, to wear it, where it is at that point. So get out of there.
0: We talked about the plausibility, where the story comes from. What about the numbers? Do they add up? Can you actually piece together a rational kind of path through this thicket of share prices and takeover values and percentages of ownership?
2: To give the writers credit, they've done a pretty good job. I think throughout the series, it wouldn't be pretty, but you could probably create a share price graph of Waystar Roy Co. and look at it and map on the key events of the series and say, this is kind of reasonable. I think there are some bits that are less clear. And one of the key areas where clarity is kind of lacking is how much the children's stakes are worth. Because... We see in series one, there's this moment where Stewie says to Kendall, look, I'll buy you out your stake. You'll be out completely cleanly. I'll give you half a billion for it. The suggestion is that Kendall's stake as a whole is worth half a billion. But then in the third series, Logan offers to buy Kendall out and he offers to do it for, for two billion. So what is quite unclear is the two billion is based on a share price of $156 a share, which appears to be a premium on the share price at that point. The numbers line up with other series. Like It seems as though within the wider continuity of the Succession universe that that price makes sense. The half a billion price we saw in Series 1 doesn't make sense. Maybe it's a very, very generous sweetener on on Kendall's stake at that point, or it's a continuity error. I suppose it is significant. (laughs) It's significant in the sense that, suspect, I suppose, that that each child is a billionaire in their own right. If they are not billionaires, and they're actually (laughs) merely hundreds of millionaires, I think the, the takeaway from that would probably be that Connor Roy, the oldest child, who's sort of as you said cut out from the kind of succession thing, is perhaps in quite bad financial trouble.
0: That's my hunch, by the way. Yes,
2: I think <laughs> I, and I think there are signs that this might become an increasingly prominent part. I mean, he's, he's just sixty
0: three million on on Logan's apartment yeah. in uh, in Fifth Avenue
2: without thinking very much. <laughs> if they decide to go down that route, I would not be surprised if there is. Big trouble there. At that point, just how rich Connor really is might become quite an important part.
0: We're thinking on the same wavelength. So, Neil, having heard all this heavy duty financial analysis, does it make you any more tempted to watch any of this program?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm certainly not a buyer of the shares. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, you don't know what the hell you're buying with uh, a business like that. But in terms of watching it, yeah, I might uh, return to it. But uh, since I don't have Sky TV other oh. than Sky News, it would be another subscription. Hey, uh, Murdoch uh, chilling, uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Louis, you've 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 passed with summer come laude, your uh, your su- your succession <laughs> succession degree NVQ whatever it is. What I want to know is, as a, as an expert, I want your assessment of. If there is a winner, who
2: would be your tip? I'm not sure. I really have a kind of horse horse that I back, and all this. So you sort of you sort of want them all to fail, and maybe that's the joy of it. Yes, I
0: think <laughs> that may be right.
1: That was a long time in finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Production and editing by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.